You are listening to From the Midwest to the Middle East, the latest on U.S. tax, Israeli economy, and lots of in-between. Interviewing Israeli and international experts. Chicago, Chicago. Welcome to our podcast. I am Philip Stein, president of Philip Stein & Associates. I will show you around. Hi, I'm very happy to welcome you all back to another session of From the Middle West to the Middle East. Today, uh, I've changed direction a little. I have a very interesting guest on a topic which is near and dear to me. And uh, I have today uh, Judy Crumbine-Stein. It's not only a time for U.S. taxes, but the time for seasonal changes. There's a lot of allergies and colds we see for parents and children alike. So today, I'm interviewing someone with experience in the health field. Judy is a special kind of holistic medical practitioner who combines Chinese medical diagnosis with several other disciplines. Judy is a graduate of the Reedman College of Alternative Medicine and is a certified Twina massage therapist, sports trainer, and aromatherapist. Prior to certification in these fields, Judy, who holds a master's degree in social work, was a psychotherapist both in the U.S. and Israel and taught a highly acclaimed vegan cooking class. As it happens, I'm the one who gets the meals on the table when she leads happy travelers through China or hanging around studying in hospital clinics in Beijing and beyond. And to give full disclosure, Judy is my wife. So Judy, welcome to the show. Hi, Philip. And it's very exciting to me to have you on. We've had a lot of podcasts. We've never, we've we talked about China on the business end, but we've never talked about Chinese medicine. Yes, that is what made me think that perhaps you needed to hear about Chinese medicine, which is so heart and soul part of the Chinese culture. So let me begin. Today everyone has heard of Chinese medicine. Why do you find people turn to Chinese medicine when they have exhausted uh, Western medical options? Interesting that you ask that. I think it's a natural thing. I think uh, people understand that some kind of holistic therapy sees the whole, whole picture of your whole self and not just your symptom. I think people like the idea that in addition to solving their problem, it can strengthen them generally and not just solve the one symptom but can help the whole body general, generally. And I think the shin bone is connected to the foot bone, it turns out. And I think people know that Western medicine can only give you one shot if it fails, you're done. But in my work, things can be approached many different ways, many ways, even with each discipline of twina, massage, acupuncture, and herb. There's an endless combination of approaches. You know, the Chinese have a very, one of their, their telling phrases is one disease, many treatments, one treatment, many diseases. And I'll, I'm going to say what this means, just as there's many ways to go about treating a set of symptoms, if one doesn't work, you can move on to the next or you can use several approaches simultaneously. And as for one treatment, many diseases, I kind of like to think it's like the psychotropic drugs that I think of like perfume. That's a good example of drugs, the same drug that can be used to treat depression or insomnia or anxiety or twitches or other neurological problems. But there probably aren't a lot of Western drugs like that. One could never give a drug that's for high blood pressure and give it for mania or give it for diabetes or for itching or for headaches. And that is the case in my field. And the fact that this is the case, I think, makes sense to people, reassures them that there's something holistic about our herbs. They're good for you in a way that balances you more than solving your treatment. And the one treatment many diseases also means because our diagnosis method is totally different, 
I could use the same acupuncture points or herbs on a variety of wildly different problems. If you came to me with high cholesterol, I could give those same herbs or those same acupuncture points to somebody who had mental disease, somebody, uh, let's say you both have damp heat that gives rise to internal phlegm and toxicity. And I think the fact that it's not black and white just appeals to people because they know they're complex and they know that stress is part of their physical illness. And that, that plays a big thing in the Chinese medicine, the stress. Okay. Now, you know, although we live in the Middle East, uh, we tend to have a Western mentality when it comes to medicine. And people, when they don't feel well, they want a, a pill, they want a shot. Uh, and they want to get quick relief. What are the medical conditions that Chinese medicine can give quick relief for? Aha, uh -huh. well that is a great question and really a chance to plug the Chinese medicine. Some of the no-brainers are like menstrual problems or ladies' problems of all kinds, irregular menstruation, pain, PMS, stuff like that, menopausal symptoms. That's pretty easy. Uh, another thing like... Uh, some orthopedic problems, especially if they're new, like if your neck goes out or you have suddenly an orthopedic twist or a tendon strain, uh, uh, tendonitis or tennis elbow or golf elbow or muscle sprain, sometimes you can solve that in one time with Twinar acupuncture or two times. Uh, migraines, it's interesting, I recently um, had a young patient who had terrible migraines like every day of the week for four for four years. And she came to me one time and she was leaving for Chutzlaritz for, for the United States and she did not want to be sick while she was there or have migraines. And I did what I did and I said to her, but you really, you have to take these herbs and you have got to come back when you come back from the States in a couple of weeks. Well, she never came back because I did what I did and uh, she has not, it's been a year and a half, she hasn't had a migraine since. That's very interesting. Um, anemia is another one. A change of diet and some herbs can help quickly. Uh, children tend to respond very quickly with the respiratory illnesses, with their rashes. Um, and fertility problems can be solved relatively quickly or probably not in one time. Uh, but we do what we call strengthening the kidneys, and that doesn't take too long. There's a lot of miraculous stuff in my field. Very interesting. Would you say that, that Chinese medicine and Western medicine are mutually exclusive, or can a patient enjoy your services, your approach, and at the same time uh, go to their uh, conventional or Western doctor? Absolutely. I totally believe in this. I sometimes you know, really need to encourage it because I need to encourage people to go back to their doctor uh, because they need to go back. They need to be told and have that reassurance, and sometimes they need what the doctor is offering. Uh, one thing I learned in China is that we should all be taking advantage of integrating both of these two more, you know, the, these two things uh, much more. And some good examples are like, I hope my children are listening, if you have allergic rhinitis or a drippier stuffed nose, you can use that sterile seawater spray or the medicated sinus spray and still use the neti pot or... Um, you know, drain your nose other ways, wash out your nose, or steam yourself. Uh, you can take Chinese herbs to strengthen your immune system and to drain the mucus. And acupuncture, of course, anything upper respiratory can be treated in this way, frequent colds and stuff like that. Um, another example would be, um, like I said, uh, menstrual problems. I think you can always take Akamol, but if you press on certain points 
And if you come for acupuncture and herbs, that can be solved pretty quickly. Uh, but you know what? I'm thinking of a, a fabulous example now. I arrived in one location for study in Tianjin. Um, it's southeast of Beijing. And I re re um, arrived there as a result of seeing a movie about a 36-year-old American family man, a community leader and a weightlifter who had a massive stroke and was left completely and totally paralyzed except for his voice. He could not speak or move, nothing. And after three months, the doctors in his home in the Midwest, United States, said, there's nothing we can do for you. And the family was a lower middle class income family. And they had heard of this place in China that could do rehab. This was the place that I went in Tianjin. And they took a huge chance with their finances and with all their heart and soul. And there was this fabulous documentary movie made of his rehab. And I'm telling you that in six weeks, this guy left the Chinese hospital walking and talking. He spoke a bit slurred, like, and he walked with a cane, like, you know, like you would if you had a stroke. But through a combination of very aggressive acupuncture, herbs, electrotherapy, physiotherapy, combined Western and Chinese medicine. But what was so amazingly Chinese, to get off the subject for a moment, was at the end of the six weeks, he said to the professor who had cared for him, look, if I have made this much progress in six weeks, maybe I should stay here for another six weeks or even longer. And it, it had just been a killer for this young family, and, and it, was, it was very difficult all around, also on the pocketbook. And the Chinese professor said to him, there's a time for everything in life, and this has been your time to rehabilitate, and now is your time to return to your family and resume your life, whatever form that will now take, and you can always return another time. But this was not the comment uh, of a Western doctor, I don't think. Anyway, there in my get to get back to my clinic, there's some people who are arrive and they're already taking, as you can imagine, medicine for diabetes or for high blood pressure or stuff like inflammatory problems like arthritis. And with my treatment, they can reduce their doses. Sometimes they can get off of it. Um, muscle relaxers, when someone calls me with acute pain, I tell them to take like muscol or some kind of ibuprofen and then come and see me because the body can receive the treatment better if it's not all clenched up. And I refer a lot to a psychiatrist for the same principle. Um, some anti-anxieties, antidepressives, mood stabilizers can sort of take the edge off the pain that people come and they're just in acute mental pain. And you cannot really help them to change their lives or to do any kind of behavior therapy or even to receive the, the acupuncture and the herbs because there's too much suffering involved. And so... I recommend that they go for this uh, treatment. And I know, I know all this because I have a background as a psychotherapist and I really don't hesitate to mix the two. And I often encourage uh, the Western medication. Very interesting. Now, I, in my travels in the States, if, if I go to Chinatown in New York or San Francisco, you see a lot of signage for Chinese medicine. Uh, but for the most part, I still feel that it's not, it has not become mainstream in the U.S. I can't speak of, of Western Europe. Uh, but in Israel, it, it's the, the, uh, the Kupot offer it. Uh, it's very well known. It's, it's any casual conversation you have with a person. It's very often, you know, if you're talking about health matters, Chinese medicine comes up as an alternative. Why, why do you think Chinese medicine is so popular in Israel? Philip, you bring me to one of my totally favorite topics, uh, the greatness of the state of Israel and Israelis. 
I think that both the people and the society as a whole are very, very curious and open-minded and really willing to try anything, especially something outlandish. Um, <laughs> I think that's true about us. Plus, the Jewish value on life and good health plays a part. You know, and you shall guard your soul is a biblical phrase. And I think this is why we've also developed such good first response systems to disasters in other places, and so many startups focus on medical instruments and medical discoveries. I think there's an extremely strong drive here to lessen suffering and even to go to really great lengths to do so, and this is really admirable. Another reason is that I think Israelis and Israel have a lot of tension, stress, and they know it. And Chinese treatments are balancing and relaxing, both while you're on the table and afterwards. I think that you know, the Chinese say there's really only um, two or three sources of disease. One is emotional tension. The other is some external pathogen, like if you get malaria or if you get pneumonia or something like that. Those are basically the only two. And, and I think uh, that has to do with the stress here. And I also think the Russian aliyah of the 80s and 90s boosted the interest in alternative medicine. I find many Russians have a lot of folk wisdom and a lot of good treatments for many things. I don't know, maybe they didn't have access to modern medicine in the years before coming here, but but I think that gave it a boost also. Well, let me go back again to a topic I touched a few minutes ago. Uh, when you go to a Western doctor or even a dietitian, uh, the starting point is usually get a blood test or get some series of blood tests. Do practitioners of Chinese medicine refer to blood tests to help plan a treatment plan? <laughs> I have a colleague so well-versed in reading blood work that she used to freak her patients out. I, was, I would sit there and watch as she used to be my, my mentor. And um, by telling them she could see they were still eating cream cake, even though they said they weren't doing it. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so that makes me chuckle. But seri seriously, certainly for raising red blood cells, lowering sugar le levels, speeding up metabolism, lowering cholesterol, boosting fertility, you've got to be able to see the blood work. And if the alternative practitioner cannot integrate this information, doesn't know about it, then you've got to get help. This is, this is vital. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, the answer is yes. And what about... I mean, Chinese is, you, you know, you've referred to herbs. Everyone knows about acupuncture. Uh, how does nutrition come in, into play in the world of Chinese medicine? Ah, very interesting. Um, the Chinese spleen and stomach are responsible for all digestion. That's, um, those are your digestive you know, organs. I, I know that my five daughters will all laugh when they hear this. Since I'm talking about the ubiquitous spleen she deficiency, uh, on the podcast, <laughs> digestion is really responsible for total health, strength, brain power, the immune system, everything. And therefore, the Chinese spleen and stomach are responsible for what they call the transportation of food throughout the body and its transformation into usable energy. And if they get clogged by a diet that creates dampness, even if you don't have stomach pain, and you never thought you'd have a digestion problem, and you answer no when somebody says, do you have bloating or do you have tummy pain, you do have poor digestion due to improper nutrition. It's interesting because today there was an article a paper in the paper uh, about somebody who gave a big plug to milk and milk products saying that they really don't have all the problems with the antibiotics um, 
and uh, and all the contaminants that it does. And milk is a great thing, and it's a great source of calcium. The Chinese are, are really not into milk products for a different reason, which is that milk is a mucus-producing food, and it does clog up the digestion in this way. It has nothing to do with lactose intolerance. It just has to do with being a food that some foods create more dampness. In the summertime, when things were dry, you might want to be able to have some milk products. But this kind of ill health from, from a clogged up digestive system kind of expresses itself in many ways that aren't all digestive, like a fatigue or headache. Uh, some of them are like uh, digestive, like irritable bowel, heartburn, constipation, diarrhea, but also menstrual trouble. And all the entire immune system, like frequent colds, etc., it all depends on the clear flow of chi, what they call chi, energy, essential energy, and blood upwards and outwards from the digestive system. So if you ingest too many spicy or fried foods that heat up the system or other foods that are cold in temperature like salads or cold in nature like dairy and produce what we call phlegm or moisture, too much dampness, this disturbs the free flow. Of course, everything in moderation, and it's different for every person based on his or her makeup. Uh, some people need their junk food and they swear it's good for them. Uh, my father-in-law, for example, is 90 and he can happily drink an entire bottle of Coke and eat a whole box of cookies at one sitting and I can personally vouch that he's done him no harm. So I can preach all I want about the good diet, but <laughs> in fact, I just had a geriatric doctor tell me to let him continue to eat whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we should all get to that age and eat whatever we yes. want. Um, we're here, I'm talking to you now. Uh, how do the seasons come into play when treating patients? Well, it has to do with some of the diet things we were talking about. Some of the herbs that we consider to be medication and that I might give people because they're suffering from some of the seasonal changes or for, for some immune system difficulties. In China, those things are just you know, vegetables that we go to in the supermarket and they, they go and they pick them up and they just throw them into their soup and throw them into their rice and throw them into their food. Uh, the Chinese widely believe, and so does the whole me- medicine system, that we are what we eat. And most dietary guidelines follow from nature. And just as we Jews believe that man is created in the image of God, the Chinese believe that the physiognomy and the spirit of man mimics the characteristics of the seasons and the earth itself. And according to Chinese philosophy, eating seasonal foods that are similar in nature to the external environment, then we remain in harmony with the environment and we adapt better to changes in season and we stay healthy. And the basic applying principle is nourishing yang in the spring and summertime and nourishing yin in the autumn and wintertime. Spring and summer are the time when the yang qi, the yang, the, the heat and the, the outwardness tends to flow outwards and occupies the body's surface. And just like you have the groundhog that comes out to play, kids also come out to play. We become more active. We sweat more, more and more outward at these times of year. And therefore, the innards get relatively depleted of yang qi and need replenishing in the spring and summer and even in the early fall in Israel, it's a little complicated here because um, we have our Indian summer where it's still hot and we're also still recovering from our, the heat of our summer, but we also do need to transition into preventative health for the, for the winter and all the colds. All right, so 
Chinese medicine we've been discussing up until now, but I understand you've also made three trips to China. You've worked in Chinese hospitals. Uh, what did you take away from the, those experiences? Actually, I've studied in two locations in China, two very large te teaching hospitals. And as I said before, it was just so amazing the way they completely and totally integrate uh, Western medicine into their treatment. Even though Chinese medicine is the medicine of choice, it's what people want, it's what the doctors want to give, but sometimes it's recognized that there has to be an integration, like after checking their pulse and their tongue and diagnosing them in a totally Chinese way, the professors send their patients downstairs for an MRI and for blood tests, and they skitty-scat down there to do them, and they come back in 45 minutes with the results, and they then uh, receive acupuncture and Chinese herbs and are told to come back at a certain frequency. Uh, but sometimes they get Western medicine too, or even only Western medicine. But even more so with the Chinese medicine being the free thing there, the main thing is that's different from here, they come three times a week for a series of about 12 acupuncture sessions and they take a week off. And then if they need, they probably take another what's called a series. And that's our pitfall in the West. Chinese medicine works more gently and, and it's acknowledged that you, you need to persist at it more like any therapy, anytime you want to change the pattern of the body and you're not giving a strong quote-unquote Western medicine, so you, just like physiotherapy, this needs to be repeated at frequent intervals. And since we're working on changing these things, um, if we can't get the patients in often enough, that is a detriment to the way we can practice the Chinese medicine in the West. I, you know, people, Chinese medicine in China is the cheapest way to have medicine, but here it's more expensive, and I, I try to make my pay schedule conducive to coming in more frequently. But people, I think, have a whole different concept of how much effort they want to put into their own healing. They're used to, as you said at the beginning, you know, having something done to them and having it work fast. And one example is I, I remember uh, watching silently for three days in a tiny room, uh, as seven patients were treated every 20 minutes, another seven patients, with acupuncture for facial paralysis or what's called bell palsy. The Chinese call it facial wind. And this is sometimes the after, after effect of a virus, and it's, still pretty, it's also pretty common in our society. Um, but because of the strong Mongolian wind in Beijing, this affliction is really rampant in northern China. And they come three times a week for a month or more. And I sat there quietly, and at the end of the third long day, since I'm older than many of the students who come from all over the world who are in their 20s, I was given a little bit more respect by the professors because they thought I was at their level since I was older. And although we had been told to stand back, I politely approached the professor and I told her that in the West, patients for this affliction are given cortisone. First, it took her a minute to understand what I was saying and, and what I meant by cortisone because we did not have a common language. And then she kind of said in a shocked way, but our treatments have no side effects. But the patients come three times a week and sometimes for three months, and they're much less concerned with privacy, personal space, which for me seemed quite fine, but it's not considered acceptable here, especially when people pay privately. They want to be treated, you know, at a higher, what they think is a higher level given more private attention. And I think, in general, I realized from those experiences, in addition to many fabulous and interesting techniques, that patients have to take responsibility for their treatments, and that's what I try to educate 
people to do. In, in China, the whole culture is set up for it. It's ingrained for people to come frequently and do whatever the professor says, including Tai Chi. While here, it means exercise and physiotherapy, diet change, med- meditation, lifestyle change, and you really have to work on this with people. It's harder for them to accept and, and, and implement. All right. So you had this hospital experience. You, you learned, you observed what you just shared with us, but you, you sort of took it into a different direction uh, in that in these three trips, uh, you began to travel through China. And in the last two trips, you actually led groups to China. Um, how has traveling tr- through China changed your views of, of, of the Far East or in China in particular? Well, I'm actually putting together sign-up for anyone who may be listening who wants to join my fourth trip to China in June. Small group uh, with some mini treks and seeing, meeting a cross-section of people who have become my friends really up close. And I enjoy facilitating my travelers, interacting with my friends from rice farmers to school teachers to entrepreneurs. I have a professor who is a friend in Shanghai University. And the more fond I get of the Chinese, the better I get to know them, <laughs> to answer your question, it's an old adage, uh, probably in every culture, the more I realize I will never know much about China at all, and even less about the East in general, uh, just like they could never comprehend the complexity of our society, um, I think it's, it's the same way. It's very complex. It's more of a soul thing. I think there's good people all over the world with shared values. The cultural getting to know you stuff is the fun part, but for me the meaningful part and these are really cherished friendships, and I think uh, it's a two-way thing. It's the hope that we that we all share something vital. All right, so tell us, uh, I'm going to give you a chance. When I finish my podcast, uh, first of all, I, I want my listeners to know how to get in touch with you, but if you could give them a little details about your, your, your upcoming fourth trip to China and where you, where you would be taking them and what they would see and how they would find more about it. Okay. Well, first of all, the way to find out more about it is to uh, email me, Judy Rifua, J-U-D-Y-R-E-F, Rifua, U-A-H, Judy Rifua at gmail.com. My WordPress account, which is, which is uh, Judy Rifua also, Judy Rifua at WordPress, uh, Judy Rifua dot WordPress. Um, and I take them to seven or eight uh, different cities. Some of them, a lot of them are the cities that you would go to on any tour, but my tour is different because we are going on uh, boats, we're going on mopeds, we're going on bikes, we're having some, tri- some treks, mini treks, uh, staying in places way up in the mountains that you normally wouldn't get to go unless you were a trekker. But everything is like five-star and good food and good conditions and good hotels. And plus you get to meet uh, friends up close who in every location uh, of four or five days will be with, uh, with us and you can really get to know the people, see many times visit their homes, ask them about their families, uh, about all the things that we don't seem to uh, remember or know about, like the Cultural Revolution and how that affected people who are now in their 30s and 40s and 50s and even in their 20s. Uh, how China has changed. Um, that to me is the fascinating part. But it's really just a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun. We have uh, foot massages and hand massages and, like I said, all kinds of, of fun activities. Um, in addition to the Great Wall of China, a lot of fantastic shopping uh, for really, really good prices. 
uh, in rural places, going into the food markets. It's just a lot of fun. And, and when, when will that trip be taking place? Oh, that trip is June 8th to 24th, 2014. Okay. Well, this has been a lot of fun for me, and I also learned a lot, and I want to thank... Did you learn anything you didn't know, Phil? I did. I did learn some things, and that's <laughs> always my goal, that I want to learn and my listeners to expose them to new and different things, and I want to thank you for taking time out of your day and also for taking care of me for the last 37 years. So Thank you. The feeling is mutual. Thank you. Have a good day and a good week, and Happy New Year to everybody. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Feel free to visit us at www.peacestein.com or look for Philip Stein Associates on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.